This is 63% Scottish, a Scotland appreciation podcast. Yes, welcome to 63% Scottish. My name is Eamon O'Flynn and I am your host. This is the seventh episode of this show and I have to say, I'm blown away by the response. We're getting a ton of listeners, more than I expected, and I'm eternally grateful. I'd love to keep this show growing, so before we start, I'm asking you for a favor. If you're a regular listener, or if you listen to this episode and you enjoy it, please recommend the show to at least one other person, a friend or family member or anyone else in your life with Scottish heritage. Oh, and please share our show on social media. If you tag us, we'll like, share, and reply to your messages. Now, on to the show. This isn't a history podcast. There are lots of history podcasts. A few very good Scottish history podcasts. But there are some subjects that just don't get covered in your average history lesson. You see, if I asked you to list some major events in Scottish history, you might say the Scottish Wars of Independence, or the Jacobite Uprising of 1745, or maybe the Scottish Enlightenment, or maybe even the Highland Clearances. And if I asked you to name some major figures associated with those events, you'd undoubtedly say William Wallace, Robert the Bruce, Bonnie Prince Charlie, or perhaps Adam Smith. Who's the first woman you'd think of? Flora MacDonald? What about the second? You see, a real problem with an overview of history is that it often ignores 50% of the population. You'd almost think Scotland was womanless during the Scottish Wars of Independence or the Scottish Enlightenment. But it's simply not the case. Women were there, and they often played important roles in the making of that history you know so well. I don't want anyone to feel bad about not knowing about these women. Unless you're a historian, you're likely reading whatever is available to you and learning whatever is taught to you. And until recently, women have not received the spotlight they so thoroughly deserve. That's why I thought it'd be fun to have Beth Reed join us on 63% Scottish today. Beth is a researcher and writer who's contributed to Hidden Scotland, the History Corner, and the Historian's Magazine, often writing about the Scottish Wars of Independence and, specifically, women in that era. She's also the creator of History with Beth, an Instagram account that introduces her 63,000 followers to everything from the Battle of the Bloody Pits to Kildrummy Castle. Finally, she has a book in the works called, of all things, Women in the Scottish Wars of Independence. I've asked Beth to tell us a little bit about the women who had a direct impact on history during the Scottish Wars of Independence. Women we should all know. Enjoy. First, thanks for joining us today. It's uh, it's great to have you here. Um, as I've told you, I, I you're a bit of a celebrity to me, and... Uh, and you know it's amazing that uh, that I'm speaking to you in in person. Well, thank you so much for having me on. That's so nice of you to say. Um, yeah, just the social media is so funny with all the people you can meet from it and stuff, and it's really nice to get to chat in person. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And you know, I, when I first came came across your name on Instagram, you know, I actually still think of you as History with Beth, uh, as though it's a <laughs> like a proper name, like that is the name you were you were born to. Uh, what prompted you to start the History with Beth Instagram account? So it was really um, kind of born through lockdown in twenty twenty. Um, I well, I mean, I loved history for a long time, and um, before that, particularly Scottish history and. 
a lot of my friends, my long-suffering friends would put up with me posting on my personal Instagram about different kind of historical sites I'd been to. And then, yeah, just during lockdown, um, I just was kind of thinking about it and thought, well, maybe I should, you know, make a page just dedicated to this. And hopefully there might be some interest. So I think it was September 2020 when we kind of were allowed to leave our houses again leave our houses. in Scotland. Um, I started kind of going to other like castles that were open and then, um, yeah, start posting about them on the page. And I initially had been like, yeah, see if, you know, see if 50 people could enjoy this. I'll be, I'll be so delighted. That would be so encouraging. And now it's just over 56,000, which is a bit <laughs> um, incredible. Still, yeah, it still doesn't feel really real to me. It still feels like it's only 50 people I'm talking to. Um, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely delighted with how it's gone. Yes, and one of those fifty thousand is a random person from from Canada who just <laughs> happened to. So, how would you describe what you uh, what you put on history with Beth uh, for anyone listening at home who might want to check you out? Yeah, of course. So, um, it really just focuses on making Scottish history accessible. That's kind of the main passion and the main drive behind it. So. A lot of what I post, it's historic sites that I go out to in Scotland and I post reels about them or um, pictures or Instagram stories. And it's just kind of explaining either the entire history of that site or maybe a key character or event linked to that site. And it's just to make it make it fun, make it interesting. Um, just my, my kind of aim with all of it is for people to really appreciate that history really did happen. It's not some kind of faraway fairy tale story. Um, you know, these were real people as real as you and I are talking right now. Um, you know, the same concerns, the same worries, the same loves, all that sort of stuff. So I just really try to get that across on my page and yeah, just try to make history more accessible. It's mostly mostly Scottish history, but I do sometimes dip into English history. Um, I was recently in Italy, so I posted a couple of things to do with um, Italian history. But it is, yeah, for the most part, it is um, Scottish history. Yeah. And and for anyone who is not in fact Scottish, you'll learn all kinds of actual pronunciations of castles. And uh, where, where I, I I look at the I look at the way it's written, and I say, well, I'm pronouncing. I know I'm pronouncing this wrong <laughs> or that wrong. And sometimes it's even it's even simple ones like D U O N E. Is that, yeah, is Dune, is, uh, but does not, I'm like, is that, is that, it's getting close to Dwayne, but it's not Dwayne. Yeah, Um, like Down or something like that, but yeah. yeah, I don't know what to say. Helene Castle is spelled, like, it looks like Calzean, and it's pronounced. Yes, that's another one. It's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, uh, Elan Donan as well, which is like, I'm like, is it named after a lady named Eileen? Is that what's happening? It's. Uh, so I'm so I'm so happy every time I I learn one of the a, a new pronunciation from someone who's you know actually Scottish and knows what they're doing. <laughs> well, I'm glad I can be of help. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing <laughs> them right. I'm worried I'm just wrong. <laughs> uh, so you know we're here to talk today about women in the Scottish Wars of Independence. But the first place I'd like to start is kind of just about the era more generally. What's happening during the Scottish Wars of Independence, and who are some of the historical figures listeners might recognize? Yeah, of course. So the Scottish Wars of Independence are essentially a succession crisis. Um, It's sort of late 13th century into the 14th century in Scotland that this occurs. Um, Alexander III, who's the King of Scots, he dies suddenly. His only heir is his infant granddaughter. Unfortunately, she later dies. And at that point, Edward I of England gets involved in picking a new king for Scotland. And quite quickly, that evolves into Edward taking Scotland for himself and wanting to make it a vassal of the Kingdom of England, not a sovereign kingdom. And from that point, for the next 60-odd years, it's just um, conflict over this um, kind of 
debate really over it being a sovereign kingdom um, is not essentially the sort of idea of independence that we have today, which is quite patriotic. This sort of idea back then is more about defence of property, defence of land, of dynasty, that the Kingdom of England essentially threatened by wanting to take Scotland as its own. Um, so it's a conflict around this that goes on for the next few decades. And some, in terms of main players, um, really famous names that people will likely know are William Wallace, um, who was one of the leaders of the Scottish resistance in the late 13th, early 14th century. And then Robert the Bruce, also Robert I of Scotland, who becomes king and ultimately um, does a better job in securing independence for a temporary amount of time mm-hmm. towards the end of his reign. So those are the kind of two main names I would say that people will, will recognise from that period, as well as Edward I of England. So having read a bunch of the things that you have written, you often do write about Scottish Wars of Independence. Uh, what about that era interests you? It's probably in the answer you just gave, but what what about it really grabs your attention? It's just so, there's just so many changing factors and the politics is just so messy and like dramatic. It's honestly, it's, I think there's also so many human elements to the Scottish Wars of Independence that really like grab my attention. You know, you've got figures like William Wallace and Robert the Bruce who are, you know, revered by many people all around the world today, but they made so many mistakes as well. And I think it's mm-hmm. that side of things I really like that it's, it's a very human conflict. There's mistakes on both sides. There's heartache on both sides. There's victory on both sides. It's, um, yeah, just so many changing dynamics going on that I just find absolutely fascinating. And of course, it defines it defines Scottish history that period. It really does change the trajectory of Scotland's history. So yeah, it's an absolutely fascinating period. Just so much change going on there. Yeah, I, I spoke with Owen Innes from the Scottish History Podcast well, about yeah. William Wallace a, a little bit. And just talking about, well, we had a full episode about William Wallace, although it's mm-hmm. not a historical episode. It's much more about about Scotland today and, yeah. and memory about him and stuff. But that it's just so strange that you have someone like him who he was a co-leader when he did win a battle. Yeah. When he was the leader, he lost the battle mm-hmm. and then he kind of disappeared and then was killed. Yeah. And so it's a very odd thing to but you know, as you said, it's it's kind of a messy conflict and the way it's remembered is yeah is a you know it it really depends on who you're talking to and how much you've read yeah absolutely yeah it's a really interesting one especially wallace he's quite an interesting character for that i think Mm -hmm. so uh why is it important to study women in history and what can can we learn uh from studying women-centered history that we uh can't from studying say the great men that have the great men doing the the bunny ears the quotes air (laughs) quotes that we have mostly all heard about so i mean Obvious answer is they make up such a significant portion of the population back then and today. Um, So, of course, it's important to understand their experiences and how they maybe impacted history. But it's also really important. I think there's this kind of misunderstanding of medieval women, particularly, that they were on the sidelines. They didn't impact history. They didn't impact events. They were just there for dynastic purposes um, or religious purposes when it couldn't be further from the truth, these women really did have significant impact on various periods of history throughout Scottish history and beyond. So it's really important to learn about them for us to really improve our actual overall understanding of the periods. If we disregard women's history for, say, the Scottish Wars of Independence, then we're massively cutting ourselves short in terms of our understanding of events, people, and what society was like back then. So massively important, for sure. 
Yeah, social history in particular, you know, we're going to talk about some of the women who, who you know, you can say the, they very clearly directly affected world events. <laughs> but but you have someone like a Joan Plantagenet who, real, you know, to a degree didn't have a, a massive influence, say, on the politics around her. But studying her life provides a real window into the precariousness of being a woman, even a queen, yeah. in the early 14th century. It's it's gives us a more thorough picture, a, a com more complete picture of, of the world at that absolutely, time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think some of these, you know, key male figures as well. So if we take Joan and we take David II, studying Joan helps us understand David II's reign better and understand him as a king better. So it's so important that women's history are included, even if it is a period that was predominantly dictated by the actions of men. Women are massively important to really understand these men and the events that they're all a part of. Yeah, and so let, let's get into a few examples of the of the women who made history during the wars of Scottish independence. First and foremost, without Isabella Macduff, it's possible that Robert the Bruce would never have become king. What's her story? So that's a really, yeah, that's a really interesting one. Isabella Macduff, she was the Countess of Buchan by marriage. Um, from her natal family, she was related to the Earls of Fife. So her brother was the Earl of Fife. And with the Earls of Fife, they have this historic ancestral role in the inauguration of Scottish kings that they perform the act of placing the crown upon the king's head. Um, we're not 100% sure why they have this role, but they have it nonetheless. And so this role therefore becomes a symbol of legitimacy and of authority for Scottish kings looking to become king. So you've got different symbols of legitimacy that basically kind of tick off, yeah, I'm, I'm the king and that's fine and this is the evidence that I'm the king because all of this is happening as it should. And in 1306, when Robert the Bruce essentially usurps the throne of Scotland, he is desperate for symbols of legitimacy because the odds are massively stacked against him. And one of these symbols, of course, would be the Earl of Fife placing the crown upon his head. However, the Earl of Fife at this point is in England and there's no available family member to replace him that would support Robert and what he's done. And then you've got Isabella Macduff. So Isabella, um, although she isn't the Countess of Fife, she is, as I've said, the Earl's sister and she's the Countess of Buchan. She's married into the very powerful Common family who are Robert's absolute opponents his complete rivals and she essentially abandons her marital family rides to Schoon to Moot Hill where Robert um, is, has already actually been inaugurated as king and she goes there and says let's do this again I will place the crown upon your head and they redo the whole ceremony they do it all over again <laughs> except with Isabella there as this really key part of this symbol of legitimacy and she takes part in the ceremony and is it's a very open declaration of her own political autonomy and her own political differences from her marital family, which is pretty significant for that period. And um, yeah, it's open rebellion against her marital family as well. She's essentially abandoning them for their ultimate opponent so that she can um, yeah, do this, this uh, very important act at the ceremony. So it's a really, really, really interesting and important event in understanding women and their own political views and everything like that. And so, speaking of political, the political side of things, women, apart from from this specific, this one act here, women did play an important role, a political role for this era. So, can you tell us about some of the more influential queens consort during the Scottish Wars of Independence, and how would history be different without them? 
Yeah, absolutely. So a really interesting one is um, Robert the Bruce, so Robert the First, when he's king. His wife and his queen is Elizabeth the Borough. Now, Elizabeth the Borough is the daughter of the Earl of Ulster, um, and the Earl of Ulster was a very, very close ally to Edward I of England. And it's really, really interesting that Isabella, after she comes back from captivity in England in 1314 to 15, Robert almost immediately begins a campaign in Ireland, which is really interesting when we consider that she is the daughter of the Earl of Ulster, who's a major, major figure of the English administration in Ireland. So there's a really interesting link there. Is that, I mean, that cannot be a coincidence. Robert cannot be targeting Ireland when his wife is that is where her natal family are from and where they are based politically. So there's there's no I mean there's no coincidence there. That's got to have been a deliberate political ploy by Robert and by Elizabeth. They are king and queen. It's very likely that she potentially had an influence in Robert's decisions and deciding to make this major move in opening the war on two fronts for England by going to Ireland. So that's a really interesting one. Unfortunately there's not enough in terms of hard evidence to absolutely see where that could come from but I think you know reading between the lines and yeah there's no way that was an utter coincidence that Robert does that shortly after she returns to Scotland yeah I and until I read that uh till I, I read what you'd written about that I didn't even realize that that Robert had gone to to <laughs> to Ireland and done anything that's completely I think it's always or it's often uh simplified into uh Scotland and England and this yeah. is all just happening somewhere you know, between basically Sterling and the, you know, somewhere in the lowlands. And yeah. that, and that's, that's all that's, that's all that you're seeing. And uh, as soon as I read that, it's like, really, they went to yeah. Ireland? Really? It's so complex. And I think the reason that it's not so known about is because it ultimately was a failure for the Bruce regime. It didn't end well. So I think that's mm-hmm. why it's not known about when they were there for three years. Like that's pretty Jeez. significant and people <laughs> just kind of don't know about it. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's definitely very, uh, not talked about as much as it should be when we think about what Robert the Bruce did for sure. And and what about the the I'm, I, I've written here the Drummonds. Uh, there's there's two different two different women named with the last name Drummond, but both of them had a a pretty significant impact um, on the world around them and the politics of the world around them. Absolutely. I mean, this is kind of just drifting outside of the area of the wars of independence but still within mm, yeah. the 14th century for sure um it said david ii after his wife joan plantagenet who we've mentioned um passes away he quite quickly marries his mistress who is margaret drummond slash logie um a bit of debate over her name and the drummonds are they're a really really important family in the Menteith region of scotland so kind of central scotland near sterling um, and this is massive that he does this. It's the first time in a good a good number of decades that a Scottish king marries a Scottish noblewoman. Um, and it's pretty significant. And she is very influential with politics, with money. Um, when her and David's relationship eventually begins to break down, she and David requests a divorce. She actually goes to the Pope in Avignon herself to refuse to divorce David and to petition against this divorce. So she's mm-hmm. definitely a really independent and very politically opinion character, which I think is great to see. Like it probably was the norm, you know, like I said before, they weren't just kind of, okay, I'll just do whatever my husband believes or whatever my, you know, father or yes. brother believes. Obviously she had her own agenda and her own ambitions. So it's yeah, really interesting to see for sure with the with the Drummonds there. Yes. So uh and the time of the Scottish Wars of Independence were marked with, notably, war. Uh, <laughs> did women play any role in combat during this time? 
Yes, absolutely. And this is this is a really interesting one. It's um, specifically in the 1330s. So this is in the second stage of the Scottish Wars of Independence. It's a really interesting, um, you know, kind of decade because within this decade, we have four instances of women being directly involved in siege warfare. Um, so four different women defending their castles against um, their opponents. So there's three women on the Scottish side and there's one English woman and all of them play significant roles in leading the defence of their castles against their opponents. So it's a really interesting one. And although it maybe only kind of like looks like it's the 1330s this happens in, if it happens in the 1330s, you can bet that it was happening elsewhere as well. And we just don't have the recorded evidence of it. So yeah, really definitely involved in the warfare of the time for sure. And so if listeners wanted to learn more about women in the Scottish Wars of Independence, or maybe women more broadly across Scottish history, what would you recommend they read? Do you have any, is there anything you would suggest to them? Yeah, so I would say that um, Rosalind Marshall's Scottish Queens is very good if you're interested in learning about Scottish Queens. It covers quite a wide range of history. It's, you know, pretty much every Scottish Queen that's ever been. So it's a very, very wide range of history. That's a good one, I would say, if you're interested in queenship. If you're interested, especially in women in the Scottish Wars of Independence, I am writing a book at the moment, shameless mm. plug, um, that uh, for pen and sword publishers at the moment that is specifically about women in the Scottish Wars of Independence. Um, no kind of update on when that'll be available yet, but my Instagram page will have all the information about that when that book is available. And hopefully that'll be of interest to people who are interested in the role of women in medieval Scotland. And we'll definitely obviously share it as soon as as soon as it's uh, <laughs> known as well, of course. Uh, before we end, so we, we talked a little bit about history with Beth, and I, I didn't mention this up front, but I one of the things that I, I do love about your Instagram page is is just the video you take. There's some there these nice kind of slow sweeping shots that I think there's they're so calm. I don't under I don't mean like even if you even if you were ignoring all of the history that's happening, just purely watching that side of it and then to to put up the volume and and hear you discussing uh you know is is just it's multi-layered and not just that it's 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 great to to listen to and to and to watch so i highly recommend that to anyone who has instagram and wants to to um to to kind of take a look but where else can people find your work so you can find me i also am on tiktok um it's history with beth underscore um, I'm also on there, kind of similar videos, just posting kind of like around Scotland and stuff. Um, mostly my work is on Instagram though, and um, through my Instagram page, if you don't have an Instagram account, you can still access my page from like a browser. And I have a link in my bio that can take you to any articles that I've written for any kind of other organizations. And that's where most of my writing is. And yeah, that's predominantly on Instagram though, for sure. Great. So much. Uh, it's so great to have you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. That is all for this episode of 63% Scottish. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for 63% Scottish and you'll find us. If you want to help our show keep growing, consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This show is supported through promotional partnerships with the St. Andrews Society of Toronto, the Scottish Society of Ottawa, the St. Andrews Society of Los Angeles, the St. Andrews Society of Winnipeg, the Clans and Scottish Societies of Canada, the Singapore St. Andrews Society, the St. Andrews Society of the State of New York, and Chicago Scots. If you live in any of these places, I encourage you to find out how you can get involved. 
links to all of these organizations are in the description for this episode. We also receive promotional support from the Scots Corner page on Facebook and the Center for Scottish Studies at the University of Guelph. This show owes a debt of gratitude to the Scottish Banner, the premier publication for Scottish people and those of Scottish heritage in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the United States of America. You can find all of our episodes on their website along with short articles on each subject. Again, links are in the episode description. Music in this episode is from Roman Senec Music. Thank you for listening to 63% Scottish. Until next time, cheers and sláinte.